Blog Talk Radio. Man, it was real cool in school if we got good grades Like straight up babes, our parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Server called Phileas home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony Sinkin' Freeze Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you wanna make it on time to the show There's only one road that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feeling a fix Get on that road they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate they ever made. The fellas ain't famous, but they got good game. Getting on 76ers, Charles Bartley, this Larry Bird. Getting on 76ers, Charles Bartley, this Larry Bird. Hello, and welcome to episode four. The post-trade deadline episode of the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McManaman, of Metro Philadelphia, uh, alongside Michael Kasky, Blomain, Philly.com. Um, yeah, and for those of you that don't know, uh, our intro song is Philly's own G-Love with uh, I-76 there. Um, in case you missed it last week, also, you can follow our podcast on the app Stitcher, and you can find, you know, a lot of other great podcasts on there. You can also follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. I don't know about you, Mike, but, you know, I'm completely blown away right now by the Sixers trade deadline moves. Um, you know, we were originally going to do our podcast on Wednesday, like we've normally been doing, but, um, you know, we both had a feeling Hinky might have something up his sleeves, and uh, are you glad we pushed it to Friday here? Wow, Jeff. Wow, that's uh, that's all I can say. Following following the moves made yesterday, uh, I think it's safe to say we uh, made a good move pushing it back. I think we have a little bit to talk about today. What, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, a lot of action for sure. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just get started here with you know, the first trade of the day yesterday, basically sending the rights to Senk Akyal, um, you know, drafted in 2005, hasn't played a game in the NBA, um, to the Nuggets in exchange for JaVale McGee, the first rounder from Oklahoma City. Um, that's obviously the biggest part of the trade here. And um, the rights to the greatest name in basketball history, Choo Choo Madjuabum. Um, you know, I initially thought the Sixers would buy out McGee's $23 million and um, just basically um, pay for what he's owed over the next two seasons, but it seems like they're actually indeed deciding to keep him. But, um, you know, what do you think of this trade for Hinky? We talked about bringing in a pick attached to that big salary before the deadline. Um, were you expecting this good of a first-rounder? Uh, this at this point in the day yesterday, I was uh, this was the first, the only trade I guess that didn't have any sort of conflicting emotions for me. This one uh, I thought was the home run for the Sixers uh, right from the beginning. Um, uh, you know, anytime you can get a first round pick at this point, it's uh, you know something you have to pursue. Sam mentioned today that that you know this was the exact type of deal that they've been looking to do. Uh, you know, where they could use the cap space that they've been uh, gaining and collecting to help out, you know, another team and take on a big and unattractive salary that nobody else wanted, you know, and in return get um, a high draft pick. He mentioned how they did a similar thing last year at the trade deadline, um, but the return was just smaller. They took on the Eric Maynard contract and they took on the uh, the Bayer Mullins contract on the trade deadline last year. And you know, got to a second rounder for each one of those. This this is a very similar trade to that, just on a bigger scale. You know, much McGee has a much bigger contract with the you know 12, 11 and twelve million, and the the return is better with the first round pick. But uh, yeah, I also I like to pride myself on my NBA knowledge and player knowledge. But um, Scent and Choo Choo were uh, a couple players that I was unfamiliar with before before yesterday when Hinky was pulling those names out. <laughs> <laughs> they were uh, they were a couple names I, I had not heard before, but um, that move in itself, the McGee move, I'm I'm curious to see how the team actually utilizes the McGee. If he, you know, like you said, you thought they might have bought him out. I thought that was a possibility. 
Uh, I mean, maybe they want to keep him around because next year, uh, you know, the, the expiring contract could be valuable, that they might want to use that as a trade piece and, you know, just try to plow through and turn him into a semi-intelligent basketball center until then, if Brett and the staff can even accomplish that. But uh, the trade, I think, was more that this the McGee trade, I thought uh, Sam acknowledged as much in his presser this morning. I think it was as much, if not more, about the first, the, you know, the first rounder coming back from OKC than it was about picking up McGee. Um, they have so much cap space that, you know, it was good paying out his contract really doesn't affect them one way or another. Just, um, you know, the only thing with that remaining for me is I'll just be interested uh, to see how they actually use McGee on the team. Yeah, you know, the first deal of the day was really, you know, as you were saying, the deal I had really envisioned Hinky seeking leading up to the trade deadline. You know, there were already $18.4 million under the salary floor. And, uh, you know, to get that OKC pick in exchange for JaVale's $11.25 million, you know, he was owed this season, um, you know, that was just another brilliant hinky move at the trade deadline. And um, if the pick, which is top 18 protected this year, isn't conveyed, you know, this season, it becomes top 15 protected in 2016 and 2017. And, you know, on a team like the Thunder with Durant and Westbrook and now an ace Cantor, I mean, you know, it, it could be conveyed this season that's just an extra pick to go after a guy like, you know, Jaron Grant or Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, as I mentioned in, in the last podcast. But in essence, to get a future first-round pick for nothing plus the added flyer on McGee is just a brilliant move. And, um, you know, the Thunder right now, they sit 14th in draft position. Um, in order to, you know, convey that 19th pick to the Sixers this year, they would have to move into seventh place in the West where, you know, they're ninth right now and um, they would need to finish with a better record than the East sixth place team. But yeah, I mean, uh, overall it was uh, just a brilliant move by Hinky. I don't really know what value McGee can really hold to this team, you know, maybe to match salary in a, a larger scale deal or, you know, do you think there's, a revival of McGee's career here in Philly? <laughs> I mean, idealistically, that would be nice to say, but I, I honestly, I mean, based off just, you know, watching him throughout his career up to this point, I don't see it happening, especially at a position where the team is, you know, probably the best off of any position. Um, you know, we got Noel, obviously, Embiid on the shelf. Sims has been playing, you know, solidly all season. He's still a piece that we have at our disposal. I think, um, you know, the, more than anything, McGee, uh, McGee can just be used as, like you said, a, you know, maybe a contractual piece in a larger deal, or it could be flipped as an expiring, you know, at the deadline or in the summer mm-hmm. at some time. I, I don't I don't see him, you know, maybe they'll give him a run, you know, throughout the rest of this season, but I, I don't think that, you know, I don't see him, I don't think they view him as an actual piece moving forward more so as just, you know, to something that they could use in a further trade. But uh, the pick, like you were, um, were discussing with Oklahoma City, the way that Westbrook has been playing, you know, they're back to healthy. And now with the moves they made at the deadline, getting Cantor and uh, Novak, um, you know, getting DJ Augustine as a backup point guard and losing Reggie Jackson, who was good. But, on, I mean, it was clear that he didn't want to – he was unhappy with the situation. He didn't want to be there. And ever since they added Deion Waiters, his role had just diminished – so, I mean, yesterday, by all mm-hmm. accounts, most you know, a lot of the experts were saying that the Thunder won the trade deadline, or was, you know, at least certainly were one of the most, you know, uh, did the most to improve their teams. And with that combined with, you know, full health from Durant and Westbrook, and Westbrook has just been on an absolute tear. You know, I think he, he has to start being mentioned among MVP candidates, especially as the Thunder start to climb back in. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, not that it wasn't already interesting. It'll be even more interesting to watch the bottom of the, the West playoff race to see if the Thunder can climb up, uh, you know, to seventh seed and kick that pick back to the Sixers this year. Yeah, and I, I mean, looking at McGee, he's, you know, missed 113 games over the past two seasons. He's averaging just 5.2 points, 2.8 rebounds this season. But, you know, he was a guy with the Wizards who averaged 11.9 points, 8.8 rebounds, and 2.5 blocks 
in, you know, about 27 minutes per game before he headed to Denver um, in Washington. So there is some sort of value there if, you know, they were to play in limited minutes. Maybe he could, you know, average around like eight a game, eight rebounds a game. Um, if he came in there to spell Noel or Embiid at any any point, um, you know, this season or next season, you know, that, that could be enough to maybe flip him for that extra second-round pick or maybe a couple of second-rounders for, you know, a team in the West trying to make a playoff push next season. But, yeah, I mean, like I was saying, it, he's just a good piece to maybe match salary, bring the Sixers closer to that salary floor next season. But he's definitely an intriguing character to watch, and, you know, I'm excited kind of in the, the sense of when Swaggy P was on the team to uh, see what he's going to do next. But what do you think of just uh, JaVale's overall antics as a basketball player? Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a character. That's safe to say. He was uh, he was the guy that scored on the wrong basket last season, wasn't he? <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I believe so. I yeah. think he also has his own uh, running segment on Shaq. Uh, Shaq been a fool. I think he uh, does at least something <laughs> once a once a week that ends him up on like the the not top ten. I mean, like you said though, he it's not like he doesn't have any basketball ability. He got obviously got himself that contract. He's long and athletic. He can rebound. I mean, blocks and shots. He's not an absolute stiff out there, but it's just, you know, he hasn't been able to put everything together to really become like a reliable player. I just feel, you know, the IQ and the development might not be there to the extent that you'd like to see. But, I mean, the Sixers obviously now are priding themselves on player development. So, you know, maybe they, they can give it a run. There's nothing to lose. I mean, if if they can kind of reshape them the rest of the season and the off season into – the semi-respectable center in, in the league, you know, that could always be flipped next next February at the trade deadline for a couple of second rounders or something. So, Moving on, things got way too quiet for Philadelphia as far as any trade talks going on at the deadline yesterday. And I'm not even sure if this was, you know, second to last trade or the last trade. But, you know, when the news broke that Carter Williams – was being sent to Milwaukee in a four-team deal. You know, I was just jaw to the floor, uh, blown away by that kind of move so late. Uh, I mean, it's almost uh, crazier than when Turner was moved last year for Granger. I mean, that was post-deadline, but, you know, that was kind of expected. As as you were saying, you you marked Carter Williams as, uh, you know, not being sent away. Um, you're on the record, Mike. What happened? <laughs> I I am. That was the first thing I thought about uh, when that went down. I know I proclaimed that very strongly. Uh, honestly, I was shocked, too, when that happened. Uh, I mean, the similarity with the Turner thing is that it came down right to the deadline. But, uh, you know, it happened, like, right before 3. I think Turner's actually didn't go – you didn't find out about it until, like, 3.02 last year. But that's where the similarities mm-hmm. end to me. Um, you know, that was, the Turner move was expected. I was, uh, you know, as, as I proclaimed on our show here last week, I did not expect uh, Mike to be moved at the deadline. I, I just did not, I didn't see it happen. And for as much for the fact that I didn't think the team would have moved him, and for the fact that I didn't think the offer and on offer that they would find attractive enough would be there. Um, Sam mentioned in the mm-hmm. press conference this morning that the team had turned down. Uh, you know, like numerous offers for him, for Mike over the course of the past year or so. He said they weren't actively looking to trade him. They were happy to have him. They were just, you know, unless an offer came and blew them away, which I guess this this offer did. Um, so it was much I, – I didn't think that such an offer like that would be there on the table for them to take. Just And, you know, I also didn't predict it. Half the, the teams in the league were going to play point guard musical chairs and start switching point guards <laughs> like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean – it's a surprising move, and honestly, almost 24 hours later, I still haven't sorted it all out. I understand, you know, obviously I understand why they did it. Um, you know, the, a high lottery pick, the value there, and if he wasn't, if Mike wasn't going to be the guy, you know, move on and, you know, sell high, get what you can. Um, I also get the other side, you know, where some of the fans are upset that this was a guy that they had, and, you know, enjoyed he, well he'd been marketed as like a centerpiece of the team even in that you know the new ad that came out um at the beginning of the week before the trade the, the trades went through that said this starts now 
had a picture of Mike Noel and Joel. You know, yeah. he was kind of being yeah. he was kind of being being pushed as you know one of the not necessarily the centerpiece, but one of the key uh, you know parts of the team moving forward. And it was a guy that I think the fans had grown to enjoy watching develop, and it just you know by default become the face of the team. He's still like the reigning rookie of the year. And, uh, you know, I feel like some people think that MP might have gave up on him a little early um, in his developmental process. And, I, you know, I see both sides of the argument here, and I'm kind of still, you know, it's, I feel like it's one of those things that you, you, you really truly won't be able to evaluate until a couple of years down the road when we can see, you know, what the pick materializes into and what Mike materializes into. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I was obviously wrong, and I was absolutely shocked yesterday when I saw when the news began to break about Mike getting moved. Yeah, I, I mean, um, so they got that Lakers top five protected pick in the upcoming draft uh, via the Suns. The Suns then got Brandon Knight from the Bucks in exchange for Tyler Ennis and Miles Plumley. Isaiah Thomas ended up in Boston. Examining the trade myself, you know all well how, you know, I think about Michael Carter-Williams and his future in Philadelphia. You know, there's been all these questions from the likes of Woj and Zach Lowe and Chad Ford regarding his future with the team. And, um, you know, all along, Hinky was really looking for that best possible offer to ship him out of town. And, uh, you know, he said today that He's pretty much fielded calls from GMs across the league since day one, but, you know, he had to take this offer when it was given to him. So, you know, they received this Lakers pick. If it doesn't convey this season, it becomes top three protected in 2016 and 2017 before being unprotected in 2018. And, you know, the the Lakers right now are positioned as the fourth worst for the NBA draft they would need to win at least five more games to jump into that sixth spot that's currently held by the Kings. And, um, you know, of course, other teams could jump in too. You know, the Cavs did it last year, uh, but they would need, you know, two teams to jump in if that were to happen this season. Um, But, yeah, what do you think of, you know, the Sixers potentially having four first-round picks as well as five second-rounders in the upcoming draft? That's just something that doesn't happen and probably hasn't happened before in the NBA. Well, now I'm just mad at Sam Hickey for putting me in a position to have to semi-cheer for the Lakers for the rest of the season to win a few games. Uh, <laughs> it would, it would, you know, it would be nice to get another lottery pick uh, that high this year, like this, a sixth pick with a few, you know, with the team has a few holes and there's a few intriguing um, options out there. And, uh, you know, back to Mike, the, the pick is it's it's a nice you know it's a nice pick and you, you understand if if there wasn't the guy that they felt you know this was you know a top ten pick next this year has a chance to be top five the next two years you know value like that it just doesn't um, you know it just doesn't come along very often so you can't blame them for pouncing like that um, it's 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 going to be interesting again come draft day hopefully some of these picks convey uh, but. You know, there's there's enough talent out there in the draft that I think that makes such a gamble worthwhile. Yeah, sure. I mean, by by moving Carter Williams now, they they shift their focus to what seems like you know drafting one of those top point guards in the upcoming draft. Uh, you got D'Angelo Russell of Ohio State, Emmanuel Mudiay, who's you know currently injured over in China, but you know he's looked upon as one of the top prospects. You know, Carter Williams left as the team's active leader in points, 15 points a game, um, assists at 7.4 a game, and minutes at, you know, 33.9 a game. But, you know, he was widely known as a bad shooter, just 39.6% on the year, 4.2 turnovers uh, on the year. And, um, you know, he's had run-ins with Coach Brett Brown this season in both games and practices. Obviously, it'll leave this team thin at the point guard position the rest of the way. But, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing for a team trying to lose. You know, as you mentioned on Twitter earlier this season, the Sixers are just 1-21 this season when Carter Williams hasn't played. So, um, you know, expect them to be bad, if not worse, the rest of the way. But, you know, what do you think of 
Carter Williams's lasting legacy in Philly. Yeah, it's tough because just you know, just when the team kind of turned it around and it started, and, you know, since 2015 started, they've been you know almost enjoyable to watch. They've been you know the defense has really stepped it up another another notch. They've gotten some wins. They've even the games they haven't won against you know like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, the Hawks and the Cavs, um, the Warriors. They've kept it close and kept it competitive. And just when I think people, this, I think that's one of the reasons this is the trade was such a surprise. It's just when people had started to actually see some tangible improvement from from the core. Um, you know, you go and trade to they had that what we talked about um, the best five man defensive unit in the league for a while there with uh, MCW, KJ, Covington, Noel, and Mute. Um, and then you go and you trade two out of the five pieces of that. It's definitely um, going to be a question. And also with uh, Carter Williams too, and the shooting thing, uh, it's the only the only thing I'm slightly skeptical about uh, as far as trading him this early is he was never really he never had the opportunity to really work on his shot. Uh, you know, it was widely documented mm-hmm. he obviously had that that uh, shoulder surgery last summer, like right after the season ended and got the Rookie of the Year award, and he was sidelined till the beginning of this year, and he never really got a full even a single off season, let alone like a couple to change and work on his shot and develop it. And, um, you know, I think not he's not that maybe he will be a great shooter, but I feel like, you know, maybe he could have been given a little more opportunity to improve in that regard. Um, he'll have, you know, one guy that he's been compared to since even before the draft last year was Jason Kidd. Um, and Jason Kidd's been on the record complimenting him a couple of times. Even earlier in Philly this year, he was uh, asked about Carter Williams' shooting struggles, and he said, you know, I, w- I wouldn't worry about that. Look at the uh, you know the other things he brings to the game and to the point guard position. You know, they're both similar in, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, size. Uh, Kidd was also a very lousy three-point shooter early in his career. It's something that he improved upon over time. So it's no, you know, it's not a surprise that he thinks Carter Williams can follow in the same trajectory. And that trade to you know, to Milwaukee just had kids finger fingerprints all over it. To me, that's a guy in Carter Williams that he's admired, reminds him of himself and now he can kinda run the bucks through Mike, you know, through his own mind and a and a player that's similar to him. Um, I think Mike will, will always be remembered fondly in Philly. Um he's a guy that, you know, he always he had might have had some battles with Coach Brown and whatnot behind the scenes, but he was a guy that you you know, brought it most of the time. You didn't hear too much about his effort, you know. He was, uh, and he 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 embraced the whole. From what you could tell, he embraced the the rebuild and his position as kind of like the de facto face of the franchise in the wake of the trades last year. Um, you know, it's not easy necessarily to be drafted into a situation where your team is being nationally scrutinized for being terrible and for their approach to rebuilding. Not, you know, I don't think all college kids, 22-year-old, 21-year-old college kids would handle that situation necessarily well. And I feel like Mike always, you know, did a did a pretty good job of uh, supporting the direction that the franchise took and still going out each, you know, each night and playing the individual games hard while trying to be a leader and, you know, um, helping the team rebuild. I feel like the fan base picked up on that and realized it. And um, I think he'll be remembered fondly for you know he didn't he didn't serve a long enough time here to, for it to go sour he you know he everyone understood the team around him it, they weren't great it wasn't necessarily his fault uh, you know he, he'll he'll be remembered in Philly as the guy that got traded while he was still the rookie of the year I mean obviously the the class was mm-hmm. was weak was weak last year it's no not like he's you know, if you look at the lineage of rookie of the years, LeBron, Durant, Lillard, Derrick Rose, Blake, I mean, it's not necessarily to say Mike's in that same breath of player, but it's not often that a rookie of the year gets traded while he's still rookie of the year, you know. So that's a, it was just his, his stint here was just so short, and I think it'll be remembered fondly. Nothing happened, you know, nothing. He wasn't here long enough for it to go sour, and uh, I feel like he gave – he gave the franchise pretty much all that he had while he was here, and I think that that'll be appreciated. Yeah, I mean, uh, to start off his career as a Sixer, uh, there are so many questions surrounding, you know, how good he could be. You know, he was really struggling in uh, preseason and summer league, you know, to start off his Sixers career, and then to go out and perform the way he did to knock off the defending champion Miami Heat in that first game against LeBron. 
that was just so impressive, really shocked the whole league at, uh, you know, how good this kid could possibly be. Uh, you know, just that near quadruple double in that, that first game. I don't know if a rookie could ever repeat a performance such as that. Definitely go down as probably the best in NBA history. And you have to credit his work ethic throughout the years and throughout all the, the critics trying to, you know, knock him down a bit. He he really pursued through that and tried his best to improve his game regardless or not if he ever really, you know, found a shot in this league. But like you said, Jason Kidd's a good model of someone who did all the other things right and never really fully perfected a shot but made it good enough to, you know, serve a purpose in big moments throughout the um, big games in his career. So, you know, moving on from Carter Williams, the last trade of the day, I believe, was you know, when K.J. McDaniels was shipped out to his good friend Daryl Morey with the Rockets in exchange for Isaiah Canan and what looks to be a top, you know, second rounder from either the Nuggets or the Timberwolves. You know, it almost feels like Hinky made a statement through McDaniels that, you know, if you don't buy into the system that he's trying to build here, then, you know, you're not really worth his time. Um, is this one of those trades that could really come back to hurt Hinky's reputation a little bit in the city? Or, you know, what do you think of the deal overall? Uh, honestly, I think this one, to me, the most on anyone was kind of a head-scratcher. I mean, the uh, the Carter-Williams trade is probably more polarizing if he's been around, you know, been around longer, he's a more established player. But this one, to me, honestly, it just didn't uh, didn't make a lot of sense yesterday when it happened. Maybe today it makes slightly more sense after hearing Hinky gush over uh, Isaiah Cannon at his press press conference. Uh, you know, he mm-hmm. said that Isaiah was was a guy that they, you know, an intriguing prospect, a guy they really liked, a guy they had actually targeted in the draft um, last year, but he was picked, uh, you know, one or two spots right before the Sixers picked. So, I mean, if all that, if they're really that interested in Isaiah, I guess the move makes a little bit more sense to me. I personally don't see it. Uh, I mean, he's... He's a fine player. He's he's a serviceable backup guard, but I mean he's he's six feet tall. He's he's small. I mean he can shoot a little bit, but he, I mean it's not like a, you're not getting a starting caliber point guard in Isaiah Cannon. I just uh, I just didn't understand really the move the move at, and getting rid of KJ at this point. Like if they if they had felt that they were going to lose him this summer anyway, you know if they thought that he was going to be getting offers that they didn't feel like matching. I feel like that. I feel like that's a bridge they could have crossed at the time for the value that they got back. I mean, they got Isaiah and another second-round pick that falls in the late 30s somewhere. But I mean, realistically, what are a second-round pick is going to be maybe as good as what KJ? Like, you know, it's not like KJ. He's mm-hmm. he's better than average second-round pick. A lot of times, second-round picks don't pan out. I think that while he might not be a superstar, KJ has shown that he can be a rotation player in the league for a few years, especially with some development. You know, he can do a lot of things, especially defensively. He can he showed signs of being a great perimeter de- defender. He can rebound. He can block. You know, if he improves upon the shot a little bit. He reminds me, it's funny because he's going to Houston. He sort of reminds me of Trevor Ariza. Obviously, Ariza is a much better shooter. He's improved over his career. Hmm. But as far as where he's kind of just like a utility knife guy that you can plug into a couple positions, who's like long and athletic and can do a couple different things. Um, and I just I just feel like for the return, you know, just to get another second round pick back, that maybe you can draft someone else that will be, you know, comparably skilled to KJ. For that, I feel like you might, you know, why not just hold on to him for the rest of this year, let him play it out, and then kind of let the market determine his value. Like if you know if the summer come, came along and teams were throwing money at him. To, after a year of watching him play and develop, the Sixers didn't think was worth it, then that's fine. Cut you know, cut your losses, let him go, sign elsewhere. And no, you don't get that second round pick in return. But like I said, that's not all. You know, it doesn't always pan out. They have enough anyway. I feel like it would have just kind of been worth it to see. You know, it's not like they don't have the money to keep him around next year at a reasonable price. You know, I feel like it would have been almost just worth it to keep him around and see let the market dictate his value and see what they could have done with him going forward. Uh, what what'd you think about that one? Yeah, I, I mean, it was a little off-putting today to hear Hinky's explanation about the deal and 
you know, I, I feel like referring to KJ as the second rounder at this point just isn't true. He's he's really proved his value and showed that he really deserved to be a first round pick. And you know, it's unfortunate. Um, I can kind of see both sides of the coin here. You know, obviously this deal seems really surprising on the surface based off of just all the highlight real plays we've seen of him, either, you know, dunking the ball with authority or, you know, his highlight real blocks. But, yeah, I mean, his 4.3 block percentage is the highest in NBA history by a player six foot six or shorter. Um, if he can reach 100 blocks this season, he'll become just the fourth guard ever to reach that mark in the NBA. It's really all about the deal here. McDaniel signing that minimum non-guaranteed one-year, you know, $500,000 contract. I really feel like that puts Sam Hinkie off a bit. You know, he's averaging 9.2 points, 3.8 rebounds, 1.3 blocks. But, you know, Hinkie was really afraid of the problems that could arise in the 2015 free agency when it came down to pay him. And, um, based on the situations KJ could be put into in the off season, maybe the Sixers would try to extend them that qualifying, you know, $1 million offer. But, um, you know, McDaniels would reject it, become a restricted free agent and have the ability to sign elsewhere. And McDaniels could possibly feel an offer of four years, 42 million. And when you're trying to pay all these guys like Noel and Embiid, and, you know, this top five pick upcoming in the next draft down the road, I mean, you need all the money you can get for those larger contracts. And you don't want to spend too much early on a guy like KJ that, I guess, in Sam's mind is replaceable. With the play of Jeremy Grant recently, maybe that also went into the decision to give the minutes to Grant as opposed to McDaniels. Uh, I don't really know what it is, but it was definitely a a shock that, you know, KJ probably even bigger than Michael Carter Williams, just based on how young and um, undeveloped McDaniels is at this point um, to be shipped out like that was uh, pretty surprising. But, um, you know, what do you think of Kanan as a player? And, um, you know, Hinky proclaimed today at the team's presser that he'd be the starting point guard the rest of the season. You know, do you think he'll serve, a role as mainly the backup for whoever they bring in through the draft? I mean, I feel like a lot of, you know, it's it's hard to tell if they if he is like a long-term piece or not. Obviously, uh, I think he was, was pretty high on him if they were looking at him in the draft. He, he can shoot, obviously, a lot better than Carter Williams. That'll help um, space the floor. I think that was one big, a big consideration. You know, if they're, if Embiid is the piece they're looking to build around, you know, one of the main, the main pieces and guys like Carter Williams and Noel are more complimentary Then obviously you want a guy that can space the floor and spot up off of Embiid. And, you know, Mike just didn't do that. Um, Cannon, you know, Isaiah, he's, he can shoot better. I think he's, uh, you know, his three point percentage is around like 38%. Um, his field goal percentage in general is, uh, you know, over like 40, 41%. Um, both improvements up from Carter Williams, but I, I just I haven't seen enough from him. I actually I met him last last summer at uh, the And One um, And One Challenge that was held at Temple over a couple periods. Uh, it was hosted by like And One and Sean Kemp. Uh, Lance Stevenson was down there. Uh, Isaiah was playing, and then I got a chance to. Uh, meet him and watch him. He's really quick. He's uh, he's pretty dynamic in the open court. He can he has good court vision too. But honestly, if this, his size kind of concerns me, he's lifted at six foot and he's you know like I said, I met him. I, I feel like he wasn't even six feet, maybe like five ten. He's a small guy, which is you know pretty much the polar opposite of the mold of the other guards that I think he's been bringing in all along. Um, but uh, it's it's really hard to tell exactly where he'll fit. I think his play, uh, my guess is he'll serve as a de facto starting point guard for probably the rest of the season, which will kind of serve as like a trial run, I guess, to see how how he would fit going mm-hmm. forward. Um, I mean, he's he's a nice piece to get, especially when you need a point guard. Uh, Sam referenced how this the this deal obviously fell in line after the you know after Mike was traded. And there's this gaping hole at the point guard position. And then they have this opportunity to acquire a guy that they were interested in anyway for a guy that they 
you know, were concerned that they were going to lose this summer anyway. I think a lot of Sixers fans were, you know, they've been worried about that since KJ decided to do that one-year deal. I think a lot of them thought that there was a good chance that, you know, he would sign elsewhere. Um, I don't think a lot of people anticipated that he would be traded, though. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I didn't anticipate it. I certainly thought he would, you know, at least finish out his rookie season with the Sixers and then let the market go from there. But, um, you know, I think Isaiah, to me, is still he's a question mark as to what he will really bring to the team once he's given because he never really had the opportunity to play major minutes. Last year, his rookie year, he played 11 per game. He's been playing 14 per game this year. He's you know, going to see a major bump in that. Tough to tell how it's going to play. He's never had that opportunity. So, you know, kind of got to watch and see how he does here for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean uh... – Cannon's appeared in 47 games for the Rockets over the past two seasons. You know, in nine games as a starter this year, he's averaged 13 points a game on 43% shooting from the outside. And, uh, you know, last year in the D-League, he averaged 22 points, eight assists, and four rebounds for 18 games. You know, he'll definitely add a strong presence to the outside, which, you know, besides defense has really been the key to Sixers' wins this season. You can already tell Hinky's very high on him for what it's worth, and really the Sixers needed a strong backup point guard. And, you know, as much as I loved KJ, this team had a lot of young wing talent already with Covington and Grant, and uh, Grant has come on strong of late, averaging 8.6 points, 3.6 rebounds, and 1.1 blocks over the past 10. And, um, you know, maybe Hinky searched through the team needs, saw that Grant was on that four-year rookie deal, saw that playing time would be an issue between McDaniels and him down the road, and, you know, knew that the team would need a future backup point guard. So, unfortunately, you know, that made McDaniels expendable, I guess. And, you know, I think Hinky sought out a team need, and uh, that was a backup point guard with a reliable outside shot which uh, the team really hasn't had. I mean, Roden and Carter-Williams have never been looked at as three-point shooters. And um, what that means for Tony Roden down the road is another story um, based on getting Cannon. But uh, we'll see what happens, you know, after the smoke has now cleared and where this team is at now, um, where do they look moving forward? And, uh, you know, who starts tonight? (laughs) That's a good question, actually. I think uh, they said Isaiah wouldn't be starting tonight, so I guess I think Tim Frazier would be, is back on the uh, on a ten day. We'll probably get the start. Yeah, uh, yeah. The point guard spot, I guess. Um, other than that, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I probably again they'll stick with Noel and Luke in there, and then I don't know. Uh, you made a good point though. I wanted to talk, uh, touch on real quick with Jeremy Grant. I really feel like he's a uh, I think he also kind of referenced this, not not to this extent in the presser, but he said how, you know, KJ kind of came on really strong to start the season while Jeremy was still on the mend from the injury issues. And he kind of, you know, like ran out the door and caught the attention of a lot of people, even, you know, in Philly and nationally with like the, uh, the you know, his, the dunks and the blocks and that kind of got attention. But as of late, you know, Jeremy is, came on strong. They play a similar type of game. Jeremy's already a better, you know, he's already improved um, as a shooter. And, you know, I feel like that his his development, even over this brief period of time since the start of the season, probably, um, you know, also played a factor in that they felt comfortable, you know, moving moving on from KJ, especially since they have Jeremy, you know, under that um, four-year contract, the rookie contract, you know, the, the one that they like to give out. Um, I feel like you know his his improving play over the season added to the comf- their comfortability in letting KJ go. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, where do they look moving forward? Though, I mean, obviously they'll need a point guard, and uh, they'll still need more of a wing player, I guess, than um, you know a Jeremy Grant starting for this team. So, where do you see them going? Um, you know, in the future. I mean, it's going to be interesting. The moves, the moves yesterday certainly made the uh, made the upcoming draft that much more interesting from their perspective. What they're going to do. Uh, this draft was always going to be interesting, especially considering it's kind of big guy heavy at the top, and you know they just stacked up on bigs over the past two drafts. 
Um, but there's a couple, like you, you alluded to earlier, there's a couple of really interesting point guard prospects uh, in D'Angelo Russell and uh, Moutier. Am I saying that right? Emmanuel Moutier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's one of those names. You, you, they should have like the uh, the little pronunciation and parentheses next to it. I feel like, but uh, you know, there's a couple a couple of interesting prospects at the point guard position in those two, and then uh, there's of course Okafor and uh, you know Carl Anthony Towns that are the big guys. But I mean, I, I feel like at this point, a, a, wing, a scoring a wing scoring position or a, you know a point score a, a, something other than big guy is critical to add to this team. Um, you know, Mike obviously wasn't, you know, he wasn't necessarily like a score first type of guy. They don't really have any wing guys that can be counted on to can, like generate their own shots. I mean, Rob is kind of developing into that even already. He's gotten better at putting the ball in the basket. But I think you have to add someone that can make plays, whether it be, you know, a Moutier or a Russell, or you look at, you know, someone like Stanley Johnson out of Arizona as like, a, you know, maybe as a, a starting three moving forward, something like that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, it's it's tough because they're still in the, you know, talent acquiring period. It's not like they're they're still not to the point where they're trying to fit in pieces to the puzzle by position. I feel like it's more, um, you know, stacking up on some of the best talent. So really where this draft will be really interesting as far as where they decide to go. Uh, personally, I think it has to be, you know, a point guard and some perimeter play. Where uh, where do you think they should be looking? Yeah, I mean, I think they're in a very good position. You know, in my opinion, they look for Russell or Moutier in the draft, um, like I mentioned earlier, with that first selection. And um, they could add, you know, another wing scorer like Jerry Grant or Hollis Jefferson with the later pick. And um, I also like, you know, I'd like to see them go after a more physical power forward, uh, maybe like Montrezl Harrell of Louisville or uh, Kevin Looney of UCLA if he falls. Um, you know, it would be nice to get a guy that could complement Noel in the paint as more of a, you know, rebounding big with a scoring touch where Noel is more of that defensive enforcer who, you know, will grab rebounds, but he doesn't really have that tenacity like a lot of other bigs in the league. You know, I'd, I'd also like them, as we talked about in an earlier episode, to go after maybe a guy like Wesley Matthews in free agency, um, you know, who'd be a, a welcome addition to the team's culture and philosophy. But, yeah, I mean, could you see them also going after one of those more, you know, scoring bigs later on next season? Yeah, I could see that as a possibility. And, and like you just brought up, the free agency is another um, is another big looming question for them coming up after this season. You know, is this is this the off season that they decide to try to, you know, use some of this, the cap space that they've had and offer contracts to some of these players? Um, you know, they've sat pretty much idly by the past two summers. Not, you know, they've played parts in smaller deals and helped, um, you know, help by taking on contracts and whatnot, but. Uh, you know, people have wondered if this is a, the summer that they actually look to go spend on some free agents. Um, you know, we like some we discussed last, a couple of weeks ago, like Jimmy Butler, Wesley Matthews, something like that, who, you know, on paper would be great fits to the team. Um, we always have to wonder about, you know, whether or not they'd be interested in coming at this point, especially, you know, now it's more not that there was any sort of, uh, you know, like rhyme or reason, but now it's even more uncertain with, you know, more picks coming in, what the future is going to look like. And if that's the case, maybe it's just another summer where they do minor things and continue to save up cap space for when they're actually ready and, you know, poised to make a run at some of the bigger name guys. So, uh, you know, last question here. We're kind of running out of time again. Once again, uh, State of Independence podcast. Jeff McMenamin here with Michael Kasky, BlowManAffiliate.com. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about MCW's legacy in Philly, but, you know, if the next point guard comes in and isn't really able to perform immediately, uh, what, what do you think the Philly media is going to be like um, regarding Sam Hinkie at that point? It's, it's probably not going to be pretty. It's safe to say it's already mm-hmm. – he already faces his, uh, his fair share of criticism. And honestly, I mean, you can't – until until tangible results are starting to be seen on the court, you can't expect uh, some media members not to question the plan, especially when, you know, with a move like yesterday where you take a guy that's 
you know, tangible. He's one rookie of the year. He's a known commodity, and you flip him for basically another question mark. You know, you don't know where the pick's going to fall, when it when it is even going to fall, who it's going to be. You know, that's obviously going to raise a lot of eyebrows, and some people aren't going to be okay with it, especially if, like like we mentioned, it's it's difficult to judge, you know, a trade or a draft until a couple of years down the road. But if, you know, if Mike ends up handing out to be, you know, an all-star caliber point guard for the next decade in the league and, you know, as part of a playoff team, hmm. the six, well, if the Sixers are struggling in that position, you know, it's going to be more than second-guessing for Sam. Um, one one thing about his moves, though, Hinky's moves, that I do appreciate, whether or not, like I said, I'm still trying to kind of even wrap my head around all the moves that got made yesterday to you know decide if I think it's good or not. Um, I do appreciate none of the moves that he makes set the team, you know, that he doesn't dig the team a future hole. You know, past the ownership, their their way of building, whether you agree with it or not, it was different. Their their approach was throwing, you know, eighty two million at Elton Brand and eighty million at Andre Iguodala for the same summer. So that, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of years after Elton Brand's even a productive player, you're still stuck paying him off, you know. And it's Hinky's doing the exact opposite of that, whereas, you know, some of these players that he's going on like you know, taking and developing, they might not pan out. You know, the, the the team might not be great this year, might not be great next year. But he's not setting them up to be in a situation where four or five years down the road, regardless of if he, you know, if the team even thinks, you know, like Sam, we gave you a chance, it's not working out, we have to move on. He's not leaving the team in a situation where they have to dig out of his holes, like he sort of had to do from the whole, from like the Collins regime. You know, the Moultrie deal where he kind of had mm-hmm. to backpedal and. He's not, you know, the, their contracts, they've, you know, they've um, gathered the cap space. They have so many young players on, like, low-scale rookie deals. They, he's he's put the team in a great position financially um, already, whether or not, you know, if it pans out on the court with through his rebuilding scheme yet to be seen. Obviously, we are, we're all hoping it does, and we all have faith, and we think that it will, but if in, like, you know, three years, you know, the team is still sputtering and they haven't really improved and ownership decides that they want to go in a different direction, like, you know, like I said, they're not they're not going to be having to dig their way out of terrible contracts handed out by the Hinky regime, which I think is a, you know, a really important aspect of what he's doing that kind of goes understated sometimes. Yeah, I mean, no one has really had to experience the, you know, Hinky backfire just yet. Um Drew Holiday has been hurt for the most part since he was traded. Um, Thaddeus Young was just stuck in, you know, that that hell <laughs> out in Minnesota. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's moved on to <laughs> yeah. Brooklyn, which is at least a better lifestyle for him. Um, at some point, you're going to have to evaluate the moves he made, and I think that these MCW and KJ trades are the first really times to evaluate just a big deal that Sam Hinkie made. I mean, you haven't really had to do that before. You're about to see, you know, how these two can fit into some pretty solid playoff teams in both the East and the Western conferences. Um, at the end of the day, I think everything that Sam Hinkie's done has been, um, you know, pretty much the best move for the franchise. We've we've talked about KJ today as, you know, potentially not the greatest accomplishment for a player of his caliber, but he's going to have to pay the piper, as they say, eventually. And um, I think he's really done everything he can to position this team to win. And now it's just really up to the talent that they take in, um, you know, the upcoming drafts and how Embiid fits into the scheme next season and, um, you know, how... Franklin the dog fits into the scheme and in the long run. <laughs> um, and we'll see what happens in terms of results, but, you know, I, I really like the direction he's taken the franchise in. And before where I wasn't totally sold on what he was doing here, I think the Carter-Williams trade really put me over the top into a believer. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to take, you know, whatever moves he does seriously. And, um, for better or worse, how the Sixers end up, um, you know, I can really trust what he's trying to do. So you're you're kind of the opposite than some people who have sort of almost lost, not necessarily lost faith, but are kind of questioning the plan after the Carter-Williams move. You're kind of 
going the opposite way. You're saying you think that, you know, that move helped solidify the franchise and puts you more on board with what he's doing. Yeah, and especially, you know, um, adding in the JaVale McGee trade, I mean, to get those two first-round picks are so valuable in the league. And if he had known all along that Carter Williams wasn't going to be the guy to potentially get, you know, one of these top-tier point guards in uh, the upcoming draft, I think that that was the route to go. And, you know, I have no argument there. I was a little skeptical of them taking, you know, a Jahil Okafor or Carl Towns in the draft already. So to just move forward and have that breath of fresh air as you know what they're going after in the upcoming draft. And, um, you know, you just have to have faith at this point, I think. Yeah, I mean, what other option do we really have at this point? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, he's kind of backed us into a corner in that aspect. But, you know, I'm ready to really buy in and see what happens out of uh, the whole process. Well, uh, the rest of the season, at least we have a couple other things to watch out for other than the Sixers now to, you know, as far as the draft to keep things interesting. We'll keep an eye on where the Thunder end up and as far as the West and then got to keep an eye out on see where the Lakers Lakers fall in the standings too, is you know in relation to the picks that we could be getting in the draft this summer. Yeah, we've got a ton of topics uh, coming up. Um, I'm sure we'll touch on MCW in Milwaukee and KJ in Houston as well. Yeah, I mean uh, it was an awesome deadline day. I don't know if uh, one like that will happen again in a long time, but who knows when Sam Hankey's a GM, and um, you know we'll. Uh, We'll try again next week. Um, hopefully have the show Wednesday back for our usual time. But, um, you know, it was a great show today, a lot of great topics, and we'll get back at it next week. Never a dull moment with the Sixers. Get it long.